This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Yes, that's me, and you know what? We have a kind of loose but fairly strict rule about inviting guests back again. Uh, we have so many good people with so many terrific things to say and so much good conversation material uh, that we kind of take the liberty of inviting new people in to introduce you to almost all the time. And I say almost because, well, I think you'll understand when we reintroduce intuitive therapist, medium, author, storyteller, and good buddy, Melinda Vale. Welcome back to The God Show, Mindy. Thank you for having me back, Pat. Are you calling me loose? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm inviting you back because you don't ask to be paid. And, <laughs> and also because you always seem to have a good time while we're on. Uh, Definitely do. An intuitive therapist. Uh, tell everybody, including me, about the therapy that you provide intuitively to the people who come to your office here in Phoenix, or in Tempe, a suburb of Phoenix, uh, mm-hmm. to to get better? Well, one of the things that I do as an intuitive therapist, Pat, is talk to people about something that I call a karmic profile. A lot of times people have issues and they have no idea where they come from or they've done lots of therapy around them. Things don't change. And they have to figure out, you know, why things haven't changed. So I teach people about the subconscious mind, about the um, patterns that happen during the course of our childhood, about the information that comes through the DNA. Sometimes people come to me and I can just look at them and say, oh, you're a Holocaust survivor. Well, in today's world, that means two or three generations ago that somebody was in the Holocaust. Uh, you can actually see that in their vibration, and they don't have any clue why they have anxiety that they can't put their finger on or why they have some other issues, and it's because of the information that's traveled down through the generations. So as an intuitive therapist, I help people try to figure out, hey, what the heck is really going on with me that regular therapy isn't helping me kind of figure out or I use hypnotherapy to help them get into their subconscious mind and figure out what their subconscious mind is doing. How long have I known you? Oh, gosh, maybe 25 years, do you think? Maybe 25, I think, yeah. Now that you said that, it occurs to me my claim to being only a child may fall on deaf ears. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I've known you for a long time. And... I have seen you in your office working. I've Mm -hmm. seen you uh, in your practice. I have seen you in performance on stage. But why should a listener right now here in Geneva, Switzerland, wherever they're listening to this program right now, why should a listener, a stranger, believe that you can talk to dead people? Well, the proof is in the pudding now, isn't it, Pat? So I get information that I would have no way of knowing. So I just got off of Zoom with somebody from California, and I was talking to his mother, and she gave me a name. 
And I said, who is uh, Veronica? And he said, oh, that's the woman that was here yesterday teaching my child how to swim. Now, how would I know who was at his house in California yesterday teaching his three-year-old how to swim unless his mother had said that to me? And a lot of times people don't understand how this all works. They say, well, my mother never knew Veronica. Well, you know, when we're dead, we're not dead. And we do see and hear what's going around our loved ones and want to be a part of their lives. And so when I'm talking to the other side, I require them to give me little snippets of that kind of information to prove that they're actually still watching, still caring, still loving, still, you know, um, being part of, of, of life. And uh, so that's, that's why people should believe someone, not just me, but anyone that does this kind of work that has the ability to give exact information. You know, Pat, I've always said that I'm not real crazy about psychic mediums, <laughs> and that is because a lot of times people give general information and people are desperate to hear from their loved ones, and so they'll latch on to any piece of information and make it real to them. And I think the other side wants to give you exact so that you know, so that you can feel like your loved one is safe on the other side. Well, I've seen on television, and you have, and almost everybody listening right now, at one time or another, has seen the New Jersey medium, the Connecticut medium, the Utah medium, whomever it is, uh, do what they do. And I'm not even doing this skeptically, because I'm not much of a skeptic, unless you demand it of me. And so (laughs) many of these people say... Okay, is anybody in the audience here, let's say on this cruise ship, anybody have a relative named John? You know, well, a forest of hands will go up Mm -hmm. because everybody's got a relative named John. Mm -hmm. But do you ever remember saying something like, is there anybody that has a relative named Vladislav Vizichinsky? I mean, (laughs) something really remote. I have gotten some rare names. Um, it just depends, you know, you, your brain can only connect to what you know. So, you know, I might be able to get Boris for mm. somebody that's from Russia or oh, Svetlana. Yeah. But if, uh, if they had a Russian name that was complicated, it might not be able to be dropped into my name. There is a difference between doing cold readings and warm readings. And oftentimes, uh, someone in front of the audience wants to create a warm reading. So does anybody have a relative named John and 10 hands go up? This John died from cancer. Now there's four hands that go up. And so they warm up the the uh, energy so that they get to that point. And they do it by giving some general things. And I think that that's still... Uh, give some validity to people that need to hear that their loved one is safe and sound on the other side. Um, but say in my last big event, uh, what I did, Pat, was say, anybody that had a child that died, line up. So there was nothing warm about it. And then I had one after another come up to me. And uh, one woman who was uh, probably in her early 70s said she had lost two children and a husband. And um, I said, okay. And then I tapped in and said, airplane. She said, yes, an airplane crash. The airplane crash happened 
30 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. And then her sons gave me their last name. That was all she needed for validation, but it was a cold reading. Um, she obviously had, uh, well, not obviously, I guess it's not obvious. She had remarried and had a whole different last name. There is no way that no matter what, I could have gotten that information if it wasn't from being on the other side. And that's what you're looking for. I'm able to do a cold reading, but I want to say that I'm not able to do it all the time, by the way. There's not, there's not perfection when you're doing this kind of thing. We're going to get into so many things. And uh, do I sound like a fan? Yeah, because I don't lie to you. I don't lie to the audience. Uh, in this case, the reason I'm a fan, very selectively, because there's very few folks who make the claims that Melinda Vale makes by her practice, that's where the claims come from. Very few that I have actually seen in performance and uh, in a uh, professional setting one-on-one that uh, allowed me in to an area of acceptance and belief uh, because it's the real deal, Um, (laughs) including when I was in the audience one time and uh, the big ballroom at a resort And I don't know whether you remember this or not, Melinda, but somebody, some reason that her her relative was a member of the religious. (laughs) Okay, you do remember. I remember it very well, Pat. Okay, okay, share that with the audience, because this one blew me out of the chair. (laughs) I was actually doing uh, something with James Von Prague, and uh, we were on stage together and just kind of taking turns, and I started to describe a priest, except that he had special shoes, and he was articulating who he was, and he gave me his name, and the audience kind of listened for a few minutes, and then finally someone raised her hand, and she said, stood up and said, well, I know who that is. And so does everyone else. It's my cousin, Pope John Paul. <laughs> and James Von Frost looked at me and said, you're channeling the Pope? And I said, well, I guess so. Um, but the funny part oh. of it is, is that he just gave his regular name, which was his, not Pope John Paul. No, his, pre, some things. his pre-clergy name. Yeah, he gave me his pre-clergy name because that's who you, he really was at his core, right? <laughs> <laughs> because that's who we really are, you know. In heaven, we don't. God doesn't care about titles and <laughs> roles in life. God only cares about a good heart. Right? Oh, but wait a minute! Wait a minute, Monday. Just a second. As long, as long as you're dropping Pope names on this program, <laughs> uh, let me ask you this: it might be a sensitive issue, but uh, if the Vatican is listening right now. Do you think maybe they have some sensitivity about the fact that you are a medium and you are an intuitive therapist? In some arenas, there are some psychic things that you do, but you're also a practicing Catholic. Isn't there conflict there? Yeah, there's not a conflict for me, but I think there's a conflict for many Catholics and Christians because of 
some things that were written a long time ago in the Bible. Um, where I go to church, the priest that um, is the father at, at our parish uh, knows what I do and said that he believes that that there are people that can um, make that connection. And um, but it's an it's a Franciscan order. It's a Franciscan church. So um, I do have different religions, not just not Catholic, but you know, Mormons or, or uh, people that practice Judaism, uh, Muslim. Uh, I have people from all different religious places come to see me. Some kind of come in feeling like they have to look over their shoulder, like as if God sees them here, they're going to be in trouble. And, um, you know, but if you've lost somebody that you've loved or say I'm working on a, a case of a missing person or a murder, um, it doesn't matter what religious place you come from. You want information. You want to make a connection. You want to make sure your loved one is okay. Um, the interesting thing about the Pope John Paul story is that he's kind of followed me energetically ever since then. I've received four different rosaries from people, random people that just brought them up to me and said, this was blessed by Pope John Paul. I got this from Pope John Paul. And so over the years since I did that event, I've received other, you know, kind of connections to Pope John Paul, which I find interesting because I didn't have any specific favoritism towards him as a Pope. <laughs> but yes, I'm a practicing Catholic. I still go to Mass. I still actually take communion. The church hasn't fallen down around my head yet, so I think uh, I'm okay. I bought your margarita once and blessed it. I don't know whether you remember that, but I hope that that gives me some kind of a special position at some time <laughs> later in life. Uh, you mentioned a, a little while ago uh, that people are not dead. Did I understand you correctly? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe there's anything um, such thing as death. I I actually kind of believe that we're more dead here on Earth than we are when we're dead on the other side of the veil. Because I think our, our egos deaden us and we have judgment towards each other and, uh, you know, preconceived ideas about what's right and wrong. And I don't necessarily think that God always agrees with us. And so I think real life is on the other side and we're kind of fake here and that there's no real such thing as death at all. Well, if they're not dead, what are they? Um, they're alive in a different dimension of frequency, one that we call heaven. And has anyone that you've communicated with, all of those infinite numbers of people that have gone to, for lack of a better term, the other side, have any of them described what heaven is like? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because um, I've often had somebody from the other side say that they live by a lake or that they are working at a certain job or they're working with a counselor. I think counseling is mandatory on the other side uh, about something that happened in their lives when they were here. There's uh, actually a lot of different things that people tell me about. They'll tell me, if they're with an animal, a dog, a cat, a horse, mm. uh, they'll tell me grandma's name, that they were met by grandma and they were happy to see her. Or, you know, they'll talk about having a party when they come across and how nice it was that they were greeted by so many people that were so happy to see them. 
So there are dogs in heaven? All dogs go to heaven, right? Because <laughs> dogs spelled backwards is God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was wonderful entertainment when I saw all dogs go to heaven. It's just nice to know that in real life or not, uh, that that's true. Um, by the way, intuitive therapist, uh, medium, hypnotherapist, does that allow you to see the future? I don't think that um, seeing the future is actually possible, even though I have predicted things in the future that have come true. So let me kind of explain that a little bit, you know. So I might look at a picture because I read off of photographs and I may, might see somebody's daughter and I say, oh, that person is going to get pregnant in October. And sure enough, they'll get pregnant in October. Um, but, you know, there's free will energy um, and we can change direction with free will. Um, and so predicting the future isn't always an exact science because of the free will involved in it. So maybe that girl that was supposed to get pregnant in October ended up having a huge fight with her husband in July and they got silly and ended up separating and that pregnancy wouldn't happen. So, you know, reading the future can be uh, a little bit of a crapshoot, right? So uh, I'm uh, always a little reluctant to, to do that specifically, although, you know, a lot of people want to know, you know, if the guy or the girl is the right one for them or if the guy or the girl is coming back around and, you know, things like that, which I will give some information about it, but I will always give a percentage. I will always say it's about 80% that that person is going to come back around or, you know, something like that. 50-50, I might say to them, because I'm looking at the energy and the energy is telling me it's not exact. Is it a gift? How did you acquire it? Well, I'm not sure if it's a gift. I think that, you know, we can all sing, but we can't all sing like Barbara Streisand. So if you think Barbara Streisand's voice is a gift, then you can make some kind of a, a comparison. But when I was a little girl, I was extremely religious uh, child, and I used to go into church after school on my way home from school, and I would sit in the pew. I now know that I was meditating, but back in those days, I just threw a tissue on my head, went in there, and thought I was willing the statues of Jesus and, and Mary to speak to me. And uh, so I started having a conversation uh, with uh, the other side, with Jesus, with Mary, with those statues when I was about mm, six or seven. Does your ability to uh, acquire contact with people on the other side uh, and all of the other things that you're able to do that I've heard you say we all can do, but most of us are not Barbara Streisand. Does it get better with age or does it tend to drift a bit after a while? Mm, that's a really good question. I think it gets better with age because the older you get, the less you care. Hmm. You know, the older you get, the less you care about what people think of you or um, how, you know, what the impression is that you're, you're more able to be secure within yourself. You've been through a lot. You know a lot more than you used to. So you're probably uh, more secure in your own being. And when you're secure in your own being, then your ability to connect would be better because of that self-security 
So I would say that um, because I have less intimidation, less fear, less anxiety about what I do, that I'm probably better older than I was when I was younger. Melinda, you said it's been 25, 26 years that you and I have known one another, and you and I have done radio and television together. We've done stage appearances together. And uh, while I haven't been a doubter, I've always had questions. And here's one I've never asked you before. When you are in touch with someone from the other side, do they ever tell you the Catholics have it better off than the Jews in heaven? That the Baptists are living in a different neighborhood? Does religion ever come up in heaven? Never, ever, ever. Except sometimes they will tell me what religion they practiced when they were here. That is only for the benefit of the person that's sitting with me. Oh. So if somebody was a strong Catholic, for for example, I say the rosary as I'm driving to work in the morning. I have a rosary that's on my uh, mirror in my car. I have, you know, a rosary in my office. I have a rosary in my bedroom. So if someone was talking to me and my daughter wanted to be in touch with me and the person saw that I cared about rosaries and said rosary to my daughter, it would confirm to my daughter that it was me. But it's not because that me as a Catholic or that rosary was more important than any other prayer beads from any other religious, you know, background. It would be just more of a validation that it was me talking. So I do have people from the other side tell me what, what religion they were um, just because they want their loved one to know it's them. But it isn't necessarily a part of their so-called lives on the other it's side. Not, yeah, it's not their, It's not part of their afterlife. There's no religion in heaven. You know, it's all a. It's a, it's all a, a, a John John Lennon song, right? Okay, just <laughs> just a second. Heaven. Excuse me, dear. Pardon me, Rosemary, my producer. The phone is ringing. I think it's the bishop mm-hmm. of the Catholic diocese here in Phoenix calling, wanting her private number, right? (laughs) She may be in trouble. Uh, What have you done besides personal readings with people who call, personal readings with people who make appointments, and also those public readings in performance, for lack of a better term? What have you done with law enforcement? Tell our audience about your relationship with the police. Well, you know, it's an interesting relationship when the police asks you to get involved because one thing I've discovered over the years of doing this is they never actually tell you if you've helped them or not. Years and years and years ago, my first uh, experience in helping a police department was when a young couple came to me and the wife's mother had been uh, murdered but it was a drive-by shooting. And uh, I kept getting a name over and over again when they were with me. And they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And a few days later, a detective called me, and he asked if if I was the the psychic, which, you know, (laughs) yes, I said. And uh, 
he said, uh, you know, this is Detective so-and-so, and I know the name that you're giving these, this family. It's the name of the policewoman where you thought there was a witness. Would you come down here and help us? And I said, certainly, and Jesus was maybe 25, maybe even, you know, 28 years ago now. And when I arrived at the police station and got there, I, everybody, I think, expected me to look like Stevie Nicks with flowing clothes, and I don't know. I had a business suit on, and they were all kind of hanging out their office to look at me. They showed me uh, photographs of the crime scene, and it's imprinted in my mind because, you know, the crime scene photographs can be quite graphic. And uh, so I was able to sit with them and kind of help with a connection. And afterwards, as I was leaving the building, the police detective whose name I got ran down the steps after me. It was a female. And she said to me, I just want you to know that you're very good at what you do because none of them, they all keep a poker face, right? When you're talking with them. And I've been to cold case crime scenes since then. Now I've worked with the police on and off through many different experiences. And I've worked, you know, cold case crime scenes where I've met detectives up at the crime scene and worked with missing people. And, um, yeah, just, I certainly am happy to always help law enforcement. I make sure that it's on a Sunday afternoon where, uh, they come in privately and no one, unless we're doing a phone consultation and no one can see them and we just, you know, uh, do whatever they need done. And then, uh, of course I don't, I don't charge for anything like that because it just is my pleasure to be able to give back to the community in some form or fashion. And, you know, I've helped on a couple of different things, and I know I have by what's been printed in the paper, and other times I just don't know. So it just it depends. It also depends on the police department. Do they talk to you constantly, not the police, but the voices, the voices from the other side? Do you get those no. voices constantly? When do they talk to you and... Is it in the middle, unexpectedly, of doing housework? No, not not not, not normally. Um, usually, when I'm working, I'm working, and when I'm not, I'm pretty much left alone. I mean, my husband and I have had a few ghostly experiences. You know, tell me one. Tell we were, me one right now. Yeah. Okay, we were sitting at breakfast one morning, and an uh, actual voice, voice, not a voice in my head, but a real voice said, "Melinda." And I looked at Bill, my husband, and said, did you hear that? And he said, I sure did. And I'm like, okay, where is she? So he went one way, and I went the other, and she called me again, Melinda. And uh, on my steps, I, I felt an energy. I didn't actually see it, and I just said to her, you're in the wrong spot. You know, I, I'll be at the office in the morning, uh, later on this morning. And uh, when I got here to the office, uh, my first client came in, and I said, did you lose a little girl? Because the the voice sounded like a little girl's voice. And she said, well, not exactly. And I said, well, exactly what? She said, well, I lost a special needs adult, but her voice sounded like a little girl. <gasps> and so she was actually in the wrong spot. She came to my house, and or maybe she was checking me out. She was excited to see me. I'm not sure. But anyways, she was very happy to talk to her mom, and she got, you know, she did real, real nice work with her mom, letting her know that she was... But well, your husband on the other side. Your husband Billy also heard the voice. Yeah, he did. There are times that Bill and I have had uh, other things happen that he can hear and see too, which is nice for me because, you know, I'm a serial monogamer, pat, and some of my husbands haven't been too thrilled with my work. <laughs> 
particularly now that he knows that they don't use GPS and could wind up in the wrong <laughs> office. Uh, we're talking with Melinda Vale. Uh, Melinda Vale uh, has been uh, in the Valley for a long time, New York girl, who came out here when? 1993. And were you professionally practicing at that time? Well, you can't just kind of come out and start because you have to have a kind of uh, people that will, you know, word of mouth kind of connection. So I actually started out uh, uh, selling gym memberships and uh, doing uh, aerobics classes. I was the step aerobic instructor that did step aerobics to achy, breaky heart. <laughs> I've never known that in my life. <laughs> yeah. I was an aerobics instructor and a gym membership uh, salesperson, and I started to, you know, would connect with people at the gym, and I had uh, a, uh, a boss who uh, was into the spirituality, and when I told her that I was starting to get people that wanted to come to my house for readings and that I couldn't work full-time anymore, she said, you can work part-time, and she kind of helped me develop my, my practice. But how long has it been going on in your life? Well, the, the, the clairvoyance has been going on since I was a little girl. Like when? Um, oh gosh, maybe five? Maybe five? Were maybe. you afraid if you heard voices at five years old? Oh, yes, scared to death, but you know, I come from an Irish family, so, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> my mother, my mother kind of honored that and didn't, didn't you know, scare me more. She just kind of allowed for it. And so it, it became normal, I guess, is the word to use. Did you come to a point in your life, say as a schoolgirl, when you didn't want anybody to know that you were the one who heard voices? You know, it's really interesting because when you're growing up and your ego is involved, you sometimes want people to know that so you can show off and be a, a BMOC, right? Or you can try to keep it quiet because people think they're weird and I think you're weird and I think I did both of those things. I think I showed off and then kept quiet too. I think it <laughs> depended on my circumstances. It's a... Uh... It's a wonderful service to be able to provide for people, uh, but do most people contact you professionally and set up appointments or contact you on the phone if they're calling you from another part of the country or another part of the world? Do they contact you just because they want to say hello to someone who has passed or are there specific reasons why they want to communicate with those people? Well, here in the Valley, I think I'm equally as uh, sought after for the spiritual counseling piece and trying to figure things out as I am for somebody connecting to their loved one on the other side or doing a reading. When it comes to the rest of the country, um, you know, uh, more often than not, it's for a reading, although sometimes the readings develop into a relationship where somebody also wants to do the spiritual counseling, you know. So in one day, I might be in Seattle, New York City, Florida, Texas, California, and here. I might be all over, uh, or I've, suddenly my name is running through Australia right now. 
So, you know, mostly out-of-towners want uh, readings, but they can uh, still want um, the spiritual counseling. I never knew that I was able to do the hypnotherapy was clearing childhood trauma via Zoom until the pandemic. And then the pandemic, when we were all stuck working at home, Hmm. and some of my regular clients didn't want to stop what they were doing in the middle of their childhood regression work, I said, let's try it on Zoom. And I found out that we can do it equally well on Zoom as we can in person. So now I think um, that I'm doing some of that work with other people around the country, that that is also being given to their friends. And so some of that's coming through also. So it just I guess it just depends on the, the circumstance for the person, what it is. Here's one. Melinda Vale, that I've been curious about for a while. Does the stimulus for conversation ever begin on the other side? Rather than a client saying, can you get in touch with my grandmother who passed away at this particular time? uh, Does the grandmother ever say, hey, Mindy, uh, uh, this is Gert. Uh, Can you get in touch with my granddaughter? I want to tell her something. They can do it via another person. So an example of that is I had a woman that came to see me, and I said to her, do you know who Josh is? And she said, I do. I have an old school friend whose son is named Josh who passed away, but I haven't reached out to that woman in a long time, but I know about it. And I said, will you please tell her that Josh says to tell her that he has arrived home safely? So she called her old friend and told her that. Josh's mother now is a a client of mine that still stays in touch with Josh a couple times a year. But um, that's exactly what he used to say in life when he would get home. He'd call her and say, I'm home safely. So he used a phrase that was familiar to them so she would know that he was trying to reach her. And after her friend told her that, she, of course, made an appointment and came in to talk to her son. And... um, yeah, so those things happen quite a bit. I might get somebody's name. Do you know so-and-so? Yes, but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to somebody else. Will you please tell so-and-so that, you know, this is the person came in by name? More often than not, Pat, let's just say that I get the name John and his mother's name is Kathy, and both of those names will be on the page to verify that it's, yes, this is this Kathy, and yes, it's this John to say, please tell my mother I'm okay or whatever. So, yes, they will solicit me somehow, but usually it's when somebody else is here. But I have no idea how they do it. I have no idea how it happens. I just go along with the flow. As another Irish Catholic in parochial school, I remember vividly being told, at least by one sister, one of the nuns uh, that that was in charge of my education, that victims of suicide can never go to heaven. Uh, They they might not be in hell, uh, but there's there's some middle ground area that uh, the victims of suicide go to, but they can't make it to heaven. Now you're a suicide specialist in your field. Tell yes, me what I you mm-hmm. tell me what you found out. Well, you know, um, 
suicide, leaving the planet that way, means that someone is in great pain. And leaving um, by suicide is the same as leaving by cancer or um, another sort of disease that has taken someone. It's just that it could be a disease of the mind or a disease of the spirit or a disease of the ego, depending on if someone's left because they feel like they've been rejected by a romantic relationship. There's all kinds of different ways that people leave by suicide, just like there's all different kinds of cancer that may take someone's life. So suicide um, survivors, because we all survive suicide, both on this side of the veil, on the other side of the veil. But those who move to the other side of the veil certainly have to have some kind of a a connection to what has happened so counseling is mandatory in heaven and that they'll get the kind of healing that they need um, the problem for uh, talking about this is I never want to give somebody the impression that it's okay to do that because um, you're going to wind up in heaven and get counseling and when you can't get it here so it's a, it's a sticky conversation to have because truly there's no worse way to lose someone the person left on the earth plane has a, a very hard time negotiating at all with between the anger, the guilt, the hurt, the woundedness. The, there's so much that's involved in it, you know. So it's, it's kind of a hard thing to, to talk about, to verbalize, to, to um, uh, understand. So it goes back to Eastern philosophies. Then you have to talk about the karma involved or the universal checks and balances so what happens if somebody leaves the planet this way well they have to incarnate back again and be faced with the same set of issues that they were faced with um it's kind of like living in groundhog day they have to do that until they get to a place where they don't do that don't take their lives that way so that they can you know move past whatever it was that challenged them to that degree to leave the planet in that manner mindy wait a minute are you saying that we reincarnate and come back to this planet for another life yes, that, yep that's my belief system and truly pat if you are um Someone studies uh, the Bible and everything that was written from the beginning of time. Even Jesus said to John the Baptist, Ah, oh, you're Elijah reborn. Um, so I just think that things have been rewritten so many times that reincarnation has been so misunderstood. The idea of karma has been misunderstood. And people think that um, it's blasphemy if you're a Christian and you talk about reincarnation, but it's it's really something that most people believe, even if they believe it quietly to themselves. Okay. Now, I'm not planning on leaving for another 40, 50 years, but will will I know when I come back that I've been here before? Well, you know, it depends. So my grandson knew when he was a little guy. But as a 12-year-old, if you asked him that, he would say, no way. Well, when we're closer to the other side of the veil, he one time was talking about being in an airplane when he was in his mama's belly, he told me. I think he was about three. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, oh, I heard the airplane's engine, right? And he said, Grandma, I, I was uh, jumped from airplanes when I was a daddy man, and something kept me from getting killed when I hit the ground, but I can't remember what it's called. 
And I said, well, was it called a parachute? And he slapped his little knee and said, yes, it was called a parachute. And I said, well, were you in Vietnam? He said, no, I wasn't. I said, World War II? And he said, yes, that's it, World War II. And when we, he was five, we took him to Pearl Harbor, and that child was absolutely fascinated by the airplane museum there and everything involved in World War II. And for a long time, Pearl Harbor was his favorite movie, although in the sex scene he would run upstairs because he wasn't allowed to see it, right? <laughs> but now if you talk to him at 12, he's forgotten all of that. He would never, ever say that he believed in anything like that. So I think we do have memories of some kind when we're young, and then life happens, our egos get developed, and we forget about those things. There have been books, uh, pretty highly respected books written about children's memories of other lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, we're working on having one of the authors on, on The God Show. But that's for the future. Right now, Melinda Vale, also an author. Talk about that for a moment. Well, you know, I, I, um, I'm more proud of a little children's book that I wrote, which was kind of done in a rap song called If You Could See Inside of Me about anti-bullying. Um, but that book hasn't really gone too many places. But um, I wrote a book called Diary of a Mad Medium, teaching people about karmic profiling. And I threw myself and my family under the bus, so to speak, so I could use my own family background and the things that I've learned from a pretty full life about how, you know, things happen, develop through our subconscious mind, how generational patterns happen, um, that kind of thing. And um, so it's a, it's a, on Amazon, Diary of a Mad Medium. Listen, I know that you're successful, and you and your husband, Billy, have a good life, but Bill Gates doesn't call you for a loan. And I'm, I'm saying that because... An awful lot of people say if you can do all of these things and you can get advice from all of the people who have been here and then gone, some of them came back with all of that wisdom, why don't you just simply hang out in Las Vegas and place bets where they tell you to? <laughs> or or the lottery. You know, don't be showy. Be don't do it every week, <laughs> but every couple of months. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, I certainly do. Um, I, I, uh, my understanding is that to um, use that kind of energy in an inappropriate way is um, probably not good karma. But I think the bigger... Uh, part of this is that it's very hard to read for yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think when you're reading for other people, you're reading for strangers, you can get information. Um, but when you're trying to do something for yourself, your own ego gets in the way. Uh, clearly, anybody who listens to this program knows that we don't do any rehearsal. and <laughs> It's all very spontaneous conversation. So I'm going to ask you something. Uh, and you're going to have to come up with it pretty fast, otherwise the show will be over. Okay. Give me a time, Melinda Vale, when you were surprised about a voice of someone that came through to you from the departed, or 
that you were just simply surprised about what happened as a result of what you can do for people? Well, that's an easy answer, Pat. Every time I give a reading, every time I give a reading, I'm still surprised and thrilled that I'm able to make a connection. I never take it for granted, nor will I ever take it for granted. So several hours of the day, I'm tickled pink that something has dropped in my brain that tickles somebody else pink and makes a connection that puts a smile on their face, maybe a tear in their eye, but a smile on their face at the same time. So whenever I do a reading, I feel that level of joy and gratitude gratification of being able to make a connection. It's still always a surprise for me every time, Pat. Have you ever failed? Of course. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Uh, there, there are people um, that I haven't made a connection to. Just like in life, you don't make a connection with everybody that you meet. It's the same in the afterlife, you know, that maybe I have a better connection with someone than another. And there's about maybe once a year or so um, that I can't make a connection with somebody at all. And, and some of it is for a lot of different reading reasons, like when you're giving a reading to somebody who's got their um, arms wrapped around another medium and they feel defensive of their medium. They, you know, there, there's reasons why people don't let you in. One thing that kills me, <laughs> and you'll get a kick out of it, people who come here with a false name, <laughs> What? It's like, what? It, it just cracks me up because I, I inevitably get their real name on a piece of paper. <laughs> well, what are they trying to do? Play a trick? Yeah, they're play, trying to, to play a trick to make sure that I actually know what I'm doing or whatever, which is kind of silly because it puts an energetic block out, right? Instead of, you know, kind of connecting in a way that lets you, you know, because it's always a connection between you and the person you're reading and the other side of the veil. It's a it's a kind of a uh, three-way connection. You've got to use the person that's here in order to get there. Um, I, people just do funny things like that. They want to challenge you. I had a woman all dressed up with a, a hat and sunglasses and a mask over her face and all dressed up. And I was like, can you take off your sunglasses? She was like, well, I don't want you to see me. <laughs> I was like, Okay. <laughs> You, I can see my eyes. You, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you really you enjoy what you do, don't you? I, I do. I do most of the time. A lot of times it's a huge responsibility that can be uh, very overwhelming. It just depends on a lot of you know where I'm at in my life. But yeah, I, I for the most part, ninety percent of the time, I enjoy what I'm doing. Among the infinite number of things that I don't know that you do know as a result of having been in touch. Um, back to heaven, or whatever it's called, mm -hmm. it's not really a place, is it? I, I'm not sure whether we designate it through our consciousness, which are the consciousness of our soul or our spirit, whether we designate it as a place, um, certainly when one is talking to me about it, they are giving it a place. But it's not like above the clouds in the sky, mm. and there's no hell below us. It's more like a dimensional frequency, and I, by the way, think that the earth plane is hell anyway, and that our egos tell us that we want to stay here, but we really don't. 
Um, we really want to do our best to, to get out of here with a, a level of uh, honoring ourselves and being responsible and being in gratitude and being in a state of forgiveness so that we can maintain our spirit on the other side of the veil in heaven or whatever. But, you know, we have a hard time not judging here on the earth plane. So, um, but I think it's a place, but it's not a place. Yeah. But all right. So the other side of the veil, again, you you can call it anything except Newark, New Jersey. Uh, the other side of the veil uh, is some element of existence for those who have passed on and who haven't come back yet. Is that right? It's uh, the other side of the veil is uh, all of those things, I guess. I think, you know, we all want to be able to stay on the other side of the veil like Jesus. But I think there are times that we're on the other side of the veil and then we come back to hell, back to the earth plane, because we didn't do so well here the first time. All right. But is Hitler living in the same general neighborhood as Mother Teresa? Yes. Tell me. Explain. <laughs> may, may or may not be in the same neighborhood, Pat, but, <laughs> you know, um, remember, if the earth plane is hell, then we have to have devils, and Hitler played his role as a devil very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, that's uh, the simplest explanation is that, you know, as Shakespeare as the world's a stage and we're all actors on it and some of the actors have to be villains and some of the actors have to be good guys and you know maybe the whole thing is uh, that we are the puppet and the puppeteer at the same time trying to work out things so that we can get back to the source back to God and we need some villains in order to do that if I had the ability to do what you do on call and you've said that everyone has the capability. Am I correct? Yes. But we just haven't necessarily refined it the way yes. you have. Okay. Yes. If right. I, if I did, I think one of the first things that I would want to do is try to answer some of the mystery secrets. Who killed JFK? Can you do that? Well, you know, certainly if um, we were supposed to know, then yeah. I mean, um, I, I try to explain this to my grandson who wants me to talk to every famous basketball player that's ever died. <laughs> um, <laughs> unless it's a member of the family, it's not my right to go into somebody else's experience or to, uh, you know, to allow for me to um, do that, right? Um, so I think that, you know, if we were supposed to know, I would get that information. I have done some work on that before. Um, you can see it on my YouTube channel. Are you uncomfortable? Um, but, uh, Are you uncomfortable investigating that kind of a thing? I am uncomfortable investigating anything where there is not a legitimate validation. So that my whole goal with all of this understanding and working with energy 
is to give, as I've said before, proof of the pudding so that people have a basic belief system that this is possible. And I think when you go out into airy-fairy stuff or into things that are not provable, um, really, that you you risk your credibility on helping people who really need the help knowing that their son or daughter who uh, died in a car accident is safe and sound. So I've kind of stayed very much in my lane on certain things, yeah. Are you tempted to do it just for yourself? Um, yes, I think, you know, sometimes it would be nice to be able to uh, do some of that stuff. But, um, again, I, I pretty much stay in my own lane on it. I mean, again, I I did a, a show with someone you might know. Her name is Duffy McMahon. <laughs> a, for, a former guest of mine, yes. Yes, and and we were exploring some of that on a show that you can find on my YouTube channel, and it was fun, and it was great, and we had a good time, and there's other things I've done like that um, that are, you know, uh, great. So it just, you know, it just, it's not something that I concentrate on, though. You are you I mean? on YouTube right now? Can people get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. It's just Melinda Vale, Vale spelled like Colorado. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can call 480-755-0222. That's the way we schedule appointments is with my assistant rather than on the Internet because my schedule is tricky. And my assistant's name is Izzy. Hmm. Yeah, neat guy, very busy. So if you don't get through right away... Uh, stay in touch. It'll it'll be an experience that you perhaps will never have had a, a, in uh, comparison with anything. Um, we've got two minutes exactly. What do I have to do? You said everybody can do it if you know how to do it. Yeah, I want to sing like Barbara Strass said. What do I have to do <laughs> to meditate? Meditate. 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 Is that There's really? Is that the key? Yeah. That's the key. There's not a day that goes by that I do not do a meditation anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour. And when I'm going to do a large event with lots of people, sometimes I meditate for as long as five hours before the event. Oh. Meditation is absolutely the key to being able to connect with the, your, in, you know, your sense of inside, which is where you find those answers for yourself and for other people. It's through meditation. But if I don't even have any interest in doing it professionally for other people. And I just want to get in touch with the folks that have gone on before me. I do that through meditation too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you meditate and invite them into your meditation. And, you know, the the, the problem is, of course, you know, reading for oneself, we have a great imagination. We imagine what they might say. We imagine how it might be if we met with them. So it's a little harder to read for yourself than it is for other people. But you can do a little exercise in your meditation, find yourself in a beautiful setting, a garden or whatnot, and invite your loved one in to speak with you and see if you can make a connection and get some information. We're, we're out of time, so I need to tell you right now that you don't have to contact your attorney or anything, Melinda Vale. You have permission to get in touch with me anytime you want to, either on The God Show while I'm still doing it or later on on the other side, and I'd be happy to hear from you. Melinda Vale yeah. on The God Show. Thank you, Pat. And I'm Pat McMahon.